0: This is the What Matters Most podcast. A 100% listener-supported program. And now, here is your host, Paul Samuel Dolman.
1: Welcome back to What Matters Most. Thank you to everybody who tunes in all over the world. I appreciate you and keep the emails and guest suggestions coming. I have a show that I'm so excited to do because I am fascinated by human relationships of all types, and of course, intimate ones and romantic ones, but also friendships, the relationship one has with themselves and even higher powers. And a wonderful book has come to my attention, and it's called An End to Arguing, 101 Valuable Lessons for All Relationships. And you would know them from the bestseller, Things I Wish I Knew When I Got Married, which I wish I had read 30, 40 years ago. That's just a great book. It's such an honor to welcome to the show for the first time, Linda and Charlie Bloom. Thanks for coming on.
0: Well, thanks for having us. I'm glad to be here.
1: Me too. Thank you, Paul. Hey, how did you guys first meet? I would have to always figure out who you are a little bit too.
0: Oh, we were hippies in the 60s in Boston. and We met at a barbecue a uh, party, and it was pretty instantaneous for me. It took Charlie a little while to recognize that uh, we had something really good going. And, you know, we've been together uh, 54 years now. We just had our fifth wedding anniversary.
1: Did you get it first just because inherently women are smarter than men?
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that I just recognized that he had a lot of beautiful qualities. The very first day that I knew him I saw his wallet open and he had a baby picture in there and I said who's that baby and he said that's my little sister beautiful little girl and I checked off good father material then he told me a story he told me a story about catching a mouse in a trap that didn't die and he nursed that mouse back to health and went out and let it go in a field and I said that man has a kind heart. This man is a keeper.
1: What was it like to just be a couple hippies in the '60s? What do you remember about that, if you can remember?
2: <laughs> she, she, Linda revealed quite a bit to me when she asked to see my wallet. Um, so that that gave me an idea about who she is.
1: When I was in LA, they would ask for a full financial statement, usually notarized, <laughs> if they wanted if you wanted to go out for a date. <laughs> do you believe your souls had a destiny or is it just two life forms that came together and made it work
0: i tend to feel that there is some destiny involved involved but i will say that although we had both of us good raw materials and we're we're really a signature strength of both of us is we're really good students so we pay attention and um believe in lifelong learning but it's been quite a journey for us because it hasn't always been easy. And there was a time when it was a really dark, period. We wrote a book about that too, where we were thinking that maybe we weren't going to make it as a long term couple. But we got some good help and we instituted some of the things that we learned from them, particularly about how I would manage my anger and resentment. And uh, we had that breakdown become a breakthrough rather than a breakup. So I think it's partially um some destiny and some luck, but I think it's a lot of rolling up your sleeves and doing some hard work.
1: When did you make the choice to work together? Or did that just evolve naturally? was it conscious?
0: it was it was
2: conscious, but it was also uh, it was kind of gradual. We had both been in the same field for a while, not. You know necessarily specializing in relationships but we we both had graduate degrees in uh clinical psychiatric social work um and we were you know we were we were both in the field and um this was back back in the um early 80s i started working for a uh, company in which i was uh trained to lead large group Uh, personal growth seminars and I worked there for a few years and uh, after after about six years I left and we started doing that's when we started doing uh, work for relationships uh, teaching seminars primarily with couples we've been doing it ever since then we started working together in that way in the uh, mid 80s
1: but for curious people who love to learn, you pick the right field because it's never ending, isn't it? It really
2: is. It's, <laughs> it's just no no limit. That's what keeps it interesting
1: and, and challenging, too. Sounds cliche, but I've always felt the quality of my life is the quality of my relationships.
0: That's absolutely our belief system, too. And all the people in the positive psychology field say the same thing. The get the biggest bang for your buck and the happiness department from your closest relationship. So I think when people understand that and they live from that, that's where you put your time and attention. That's where you put your effort. That's where you identify what your growing edge to do your own work. And our growing edge is to have a skill set, communication skills, negotiation skills, and particularly conflict management skills, and also to grow those signature strengths, the qualities that really make you eligible for a great relationship. Commitment, integrity, courage, patience, persistence. Those are all pieces of personal growth work that add up to a splendid, fulfilling relationship.
1: And yet growing up, no one ever talked about this. They modeled the opposite. Somehow we're supposed to know how to do the most complicated things ever. We're taught a of nonsense. I feel like we're just, and even still, we're radically uneducated about all this.
2: That's so true. And when you don't realize that it's not your fault, that you're not um, an expert in conflict management or in communication skills or the things that relationships really require you to, to, to learn uh, when, when, when you don't realize that it's not your fault, you can tend to get into a blame situation where you either blame yourself or you blame your partner. And the problem with blaming is that it keeps you from learning, because your focus is always on what you consider to be the problem, and so you're not you're not really you're not really looking at at yourself with any degree of self acceptance or self understanding you're not looking at your partner uh with those same kinds of uh perspectives and there's there's no real space to to uh to feel safe enough to learn and and so fortunately i mean it seems like more and more people are beginning to recognize that relationships don't just happen because you're fated or destined to be with the person or you're not they realize that it's really a matter of skill building and uh when you you don't take it personally like you know there's something wrong with me there's something wrong with her because you know this isn't working out and you realize okay this just uh looks like I've got to learn a little bit more about acceptance or learn more about patience or learn more about courage Uh, you know, some of the things that it requires to make uh, relationships healthy and strong.
1: And it sounds cliche again, but I would assume practice makes perfect, not just for neuroplasticity, but just you undo the old patterns of reaction, you create more space, you start to learn what works, you keep track of it, you grow together.
0: But you don't ever get perfect, you get excellent you can get excellent. Perfection is just so impossible. And I think it sometimes makes people give up before they even give it a good college try. But excellence is possible. But I think people pretty uh, severely underestimate how much practice it requires. And one of the practices that we offer with the couples that we work with, and also when we teach our workshops, is the practice of checking in. And this is a mindfulness practice of checking in with self and see what's going on in our own experience and our feelings and our body and our needs, and then checking in with partner. And we're always so astonished about how many people go through life and they don't really check in with themselves very much, or if they check in with themselves, they don't report out to their partner and this is such an essential skill to build a great relationship is you you need to change to exchange your innermost experience because this is the person that you choose if you have a romantic partner of choosing all the world to show your innermost self to and to do it on a regular basis and that's that's a demanding practice but a, a one that bears a lot of fruit if you do it regularly.
1: Is fear the root cause of all arguments? I, I absolutely
2: believe that that is what underlies defensiveness, um, reactivity. It's almost always fear. Even though people don't necessarily name it or see it that way, What they see is the symptom of trying to manage or avoid your fear. But it's the fear that's driving the defensive, reactive behaviors.
1: How does one bring enough awareness and presence? Because we know fear will arise. We know we're going to get triggered. What are some of the tools the couples can use, people can use? So when it comes, not if, they're able to handle it. It's not an if, it's a win. When.
0: when people do this check-in process and they check in with their own experience, they often start to find, oh, my belly's tight. Oh, my chest is tight. Oh, I'm clenching my jaw. Oh, that's fear. And it, they name it. I find that it's a little easier for women to name it, but I don't like to make too many generalizations about the gender. but men seem to have uh, because of their conditioning from the culture a bit harder time in saying I feel afraid and that's one of the reasons that we love doing workshops is because when men hear other men share about their fears and their feelings of insecurity and their fears of loss and so forth it's it's a equalizer you know it's reassuring that this is common Place And we can't duplicate that in the one-on-one and one-on-two or the two-on-two. But in a group, it's very reassuring and validating that we all have fear. And if we can tell ourselves the truth about it and then have the courage to get vulnerable and share those fears with our partner, the depth of the connection gets much stronger.
1: Why is it harder for men? Is that social conditioning?
2: I think so a lot of people think that well you know men are just wired differently and uh and th- that's not true i mean we're wired differently as a result of the social conditioning and the roles that for you know generations have been reinforcing in us but um it's it's not something that's in um uh, integral into the Male species of humanity. It's something that is cultural and and, um, you know, the fear, you know, a lot of people don't understand well, why would fear be such a big deal? Why would that is it that everybody is afraid of? And you know, one of the things that makes relationships challenging is that uh, we don't really uh, understand that we've got two kind of conflicting tendencies within us that that we're dealing with all the time. You know, one is to present to the world uh, a social self that will meet with people's acceptance and non-judgment, so that we can make sure that we're secure in the clan, we're secure in our group, we're safe. but at the same time when when we have to cultivate an image that conforms to the cultural ideal we run the risk of being inauthentic in, in our inner life and we can we can confuse the two and and also there's the fear often comes up that i may be exposed to be somebody that i'm afraid people may not value or respect or approve of or love. And and that's essentially what you know what what the fear is about. It's about the exposure of what I know that what I know inside myself is somebody who is not who I am trying to convince the rest of the world I am.
1: Yeah, and ultimately there's an inner child in there that just doesn't want to be rejected and abandoned.
2: Of course. Of course. For all of us.
0: We encourage people to get very specific about their fears because there tends to be certain fears that repeat themselves over and over. And that child who fears being abandoned... know the fear of being controlled or engulfed by another person the fear of being humiliated and ridiculed these are very real fears and when people can get a hold of them and admit at least to themselves have an intimate relationship with themselves first and then dare to reveal that rather than conceal it they're coming out from behind the image Um, the persona of who they present, the look and good self to the world. And you don't want to do that with everybody. You want to keep your image suit nice and zipped up a lot of time. But with the people that you choose to be your closest intimate people in your life, you want to show them that innermost self, including the fears and the other tender, vulnerable feelings, the sadness, the loneliness, the hurt, and the feelings of insecurity, all of those vulnerability, you know, that is where the deepest connection lies. And that's a cultivated taste. Not everybody wants to go for that. They prefer to keep it buttoned up. But you can't hit the thrive zone of a great relationship unless you do it.
1: And really, you got to do your own work. You can't look to the other to inspire you. People don't get sober for someone else. If they do, it never holds. So you really need two people working on themselves and being a whole, try which of course broken, and then coming together to share the journey and create a mutual third energy of a third living organism called the relationship.
2: Yeah, and that, that brings up a challenge that uh many of the people that we have worked with um uh, have, have faced. And uh that is that one person m- may in complete agreement with what you just said, Paul, that you know, I, I've got to do my own work, you've got to do your own work if we are to have the kind of relationship that we both say we want. If this is an inside job, we both have to do it. And part of our work is to support each other in in the work. And it's probably going to be different because we attract people into our lives who have got. Different issues than we do, so part of that has to do with supporting each other in that process. Well, what happens if one person who sees it that way is in relationship or married to somebody who doesn't see it that way at all? You know, I'm not interested in that personal growth stuff. You know, that's not me. You know, uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think that we need to do that. You know, I, I don't want to get into that. You know, airy fairy. California stuff. <laughs> you know, uh but but sometimes people have what we call mixed marriages. You know, one person is really committed to doing their own uh personal growth work and the other one is, you know, not only are they not interested, but but they don't like it at all. Um and you know, believe it or not, those relationships can work out, but uh, ultimately it's going to require both of them being on the same page so so it is possible to to have a potentially successful relationship even when both people are on different pages but un, unless there is going to at some point be uh sharing the same gr- common ground uh th- that's a tough one
1: Yeah, because I've seen relationships go apart because one person wants to do counseling, which I think should be mandatory, and others who simply refuse to go and want to sit there on the couch with their arms across their chest, and both male and female. It's gone both ways. I've seen it. And to me, that's just neither right nor wrong, but mismatched, you know, whether it's on finances or I don't say you have to be, and I'm not the expert, you don't have to be identical, but there has to be overlap, and there's a lot of factors where if you don't share those basic things and certain pillars i feel like you're gonna just have a lot of conflict and fight about stuff now you might say oh we could still make it work but i always say why try to change the orange into a lemon if you want lemonade just go get some lemons (laughs) yeah make it so much harder you were talking too about people showing who they really are and yet vulnerability is the most beautiful superpower shows real strength and to, that, to me, that's where all the intimacy is created, in the vulnerability zone, not in the uh, spotless fake image zone, the social media zone.
0: Well, there usually is one in the pair who is more interested in being vulnerable and exposing themselves and getting out there on the skinny branches. And the other person, then they may be interested in personal growth, but they're a little late to the game and they're a little bit more reticent maybe a lot more reticent to play that means that there's more responsibility laying with the person who has the deep desire the longing for the intimate connection complete with all the vulnerability and they have to be artful about the way they appeal to the other person's enlightened self-interest there's a lot in it for you not this is not just for me there's a lot in it for you we're going to get along better we're going to be closer we're going to have more harmony cooperation collaboration co-creativity we're going to have fewer arguments and we're going to have better sex so there's a lot in it for both of us just experiment with me listen Listen and see how you feel when I show you my innermost self. And would you come and reveal some of your innermost self to me too? I would so enjoy it. And I want to be responsible about playing my part that I'm willing to initiate and I'm willing to model and I'm willing to do my damnedest to make the safe space so that you feel comfortable to come out of hiding and be with me.
1: You had a nice chapter in the book. What's the, but what's the biggest threat to relationships, and according to that chapter you had in the book?
0: Yeah, I think it's a great threat to the relationship to let the incompletions mount up. People sweep things under the rug, and they don't want to deal with them, and they hope they'll go away, but they don't go away. They they marinate in resentment. They fester. And if you hide a wound under a bandage and you don't expose it to the light, it can't heal. And so sometimes it's very challenging. But you have to have those really difficult conversations that are scary and unpleasant and uncomfortable. When people let those incompletions and that unfinished business mount up, it can come rushing down on them like an avalanche and bury them.
2: And, you know, you know, Paul, you mentioned earlier, you used the the word, um, I I think it was patterns um, that we bring into. Our relationship, and one of the one of the things that so many of us have heard growing up as kids is, uh, if you don't have anything nice to say to somebody, then don't say anything, and that can be a really dangerous habit because you end up withholding vital information out of the fear that it may be uh, upsetting to the other person to hear the truth. Um, so we we when we work with people, we we try to help them to to see it in terms other than either either i am brutally honest or else i keep my mouth shut and to see that there are other ways of responding when there's an upset or a breakdown or something that's distressing uh that you you can express yourself um honestly and authentically without without you know just dropping a bomb on the other person um which is isn't to say that, you know, you have to share every single feeling and thought that you have with the other person. I mean, I'm not saying that at all, but something that's relevant to the relationship that's important. It's feedback that the other person might need to hear about something that uh, is affecting you in a certain way. Um, if If we don't share something in a respectful way, that it's important for the other person to know they're going to keep doing the things that were upsetting because that we haven't given them any information. So, so yeah, I totally agree with Linda that you know when you don't deal with disappointments, when you don't deal with upsets, when you don't address issues that are problematic, um, that that can be like a time bomb that at some point. Is going to go off.
0: And here's another one that puts the relationship really at risk. You were asking about what puts the relationship in the danger zone. If people don't learn how to become champions of repair, they're really doing a disservice to themselves and their partner and their relationship. And all of the greatest relationships that I have ever seen over the decades that I've been in this field, they're all champions of repair. They know if they mess up, they fess up. They take responsibility for it. They know that if they need to apologize, they need to be careful about the timing and not rush it to wait for the proper moment and then give a sincere, comprehensive, heartfelt apology. And forgiveness is also an exquisite repair tool. And you can't force yourself to forgive and you can't force somebody else to forgive you the timing has to be right the learning has to take place so that the person trusts that if they forgive it's not going to just happen again and again and again and to have some kind of a contract between the two of you that you can do a do-over do you know that came out wrong I realized I had tone in my voice can I please say that again give a chance to do it right
1: repair you guys are huge believers and so am i because we know we're going to damage and break we're like egger's egger what is edward Scissor's hands. we're unconscious we're human we forget we don't eat enough we eat too much sugar we're tired we lash out as wounded kids given it's a fact so we have to be able to do triage, repair, and have those emergency units standing by and have all kinds of emergency facilities ready. And then we have to be able to say we're sorry and mean it and then do the repair. How does one repair relationship? I know there's a lot of ways. What are some of the better ways you all uh, love to think about?
2: Well, it, it starts with an awareness that, hey, I got a problem here you know there's, there's breakdown and I mean that might sound you know ridiculously obvious but um it's necessary to acknowledge that to yourself and to the other person without judging them without blaming anybody just to say hey time out here we we we've got a you know we got a problem here we're not seeing this eye to eye and and then to state your intention after you acknowledge the obvious, which is, um, I want, uh, I'm really committed to addressing this now. Is is this a good time f- for us to, to, to talk about this? Are you available now to have this conversation? So to extend an invitation rather than a demand to the other person and let them know that you're concerned, that you have a desire to do this, that you that you uh, are inviting them to join you in the process, and then to tell them what it is that you hope to have happen out of having this conversation. You know, I'm hoping that out of, out of this, you know, we we can become more mutually understanding of each other, um, and and move towards re- uh, reestablishing the level of trust that we had before this happened, and maybe even you know. Uh, have the relationship become stronger as a result of our our working with this. So to let the other person know that your intention is not to use this time to, to blame them or to, you know, throw evidence at them that this is, that, that is holding them responsible for the situation, but it's to enhance the quality of our connection so that both of us can, can feel even better as a result of having this. Uh, you know, it, you, you've gotta be really kind of compelling in in your invitation because very often, people are, are very reticent to talk about something. And they're afraid, gee, if we talk about this, it might make a bad thing even worse. To reassure them that, you know, you, they don't have to worry about you uh, attacking them They don't have to worry about you holding them responsible for things, but you want to work cooperatively together um, so that you can both get back on track again.
1: And timing is everything, isn't it? Don't do it right before bed, tired, about to walk out the door.
2: We really, we discourage people from ever even bringing up uh, uh, situations like that late at night. I mean, it's a setup, but you're really setting yourself up, you know, for this to go no place good.
1: And I thought, too, uh, I like the idea of maybe uh, setting aside a weekly time, good or bad, just to like, hey, take a like a meeting and just how are you? Did you have a good week? You're sitting down. Maybe it's one o'clock in the afternoon. You got tea or coffee or you always do it at the park or and you're just checking in with each other is there anything and you kind of come to it grounded maybe you meditate for a few minutes first and you might bring some notes and then maybe have a journal together where you write stuff down and go how are we doing with this just feels like a, a good overwatch so things don't go unspoken and then all of a sudden you got 80 of those and they blow up and now there's like massive damage
0: mm. great idea minimum of once a week more is better. Charlie and I have been checking in on a daily basis for years. And I think it's one of the main reasons that our relationship is in the golden zone.
1: What is the purpose of relationships? And, and I know there's no one purpose, but I feel like a lot of people, when I ask them, why you want to get married? Why this? They give me some crazy reasons, at least by my standards, that are not going to work. You know, security... I want to have kids or whatever, which is practical, but I see it as a higher vessel and a vehicle for spiritual growth. And yeah, you've got to take the garbage out and you better remember to pick up blank and be kind and just money issues. But to me, I see it as a vessel to become a higher being and also a container to express love and to serve and and also to receive love and be seen.
0: I'm absolutely with you on this one. And I feel that it is a gorgeous contract for a couple to make with each other, that we are going to use everything that our relationship throws up to learn and grow, to become the best that we can be. And that if people take holy vows with each other, don't have to do it in a wedding in front of other people, but at least with each other privately, I'm here to support you to become the best that you can be. And I will open to your influence. We we have... Um, We have a phrase that we use when we teach and and work with couples sometimes that we all need believing eyes. We need somebody to see how gifted we are. What our unique gift is multiple gifts to give the world that only we can do it. And sometimes we have trouble owning up to that golden part of ourselves. But the people who know us can see it clearly. And if they support us to evolve in that way and draw that out, then when we're old and on our deathbed and we're looking back over our life, we won't feel like we blew it. (laughs) We feel like, yes, I really used my raw materials and I grew into who I could be.
1: What are 10 magic
2: words? We mentioned that at the end of one of our chapters about giving unsolicited feedback and advice to people. Um, I think that feedback and and advice can be very, very beneficial. Um, However, when it is not really wanted or requested or solicited by the other person, you run the risk of getting in trouble. And so many of us have. been in relationships where we have either done that and gotten some blowback from the other person saying, you know, uh, you know, I, I don't want your advice right now. I didn't tell you my problem here because I want you to tell me what to do. I told you because I just don't want to feel alone with this and I just want you to listen. I mean, I think we've all been on both sides of that equation, you know, where we've been the advice giver And where we've been the advice receiver. So the ten magic words are: if I want your uh, if I want your advice, I'll ask you for it.
1: I love that one. Yeah,
2: that that'll stop that. (laughs) That, That'll interrupt that habit.
1: (laughs) That is really good. What are some of the things we should talk about with our potential partners? Not in as like a job interview type of thing, but just shared values, whatnot, how do we do our due diligence, which might sound like a bad phrase, before we get into the relationship? Because no offense to anyone, I think that there's a lot of happiness or suffering to be had in the choosing phase, you know, and not trying to fix people or whatever, and just being smart about who we choose for the right reasons in terms of a long-term, highly intimate relationship.
0: It's a beautiful question. And I think people don't get down to the nitty gritty soon enough, they send their image to the relationship for too long. And we're from the school of thought of, you know, put put your worst foot forward and start putting the shadow stuff out there early in the early months. And I believe that the infatuation stage is beautiful. And I always say, enjoy it, you know, cocoon together and ride it to the dunes. But don't make a choice about a life partner until you're out of infatuation and you really start to see who each other are. Wait until you hit uh, a challenge and see if the other person really shows up to work with you that challenging time. And I think it's incredibly important. And I'm sort of, shocked about how many people don't get in touch with their vision for their life and where they want to go, what their life goals are, what the home is that they want to live in, whether they want to do family and be parents and how many children they want to have and what kind of careers they want to have and whether, you know, they're going to have a whole network and community around them. And when you start to get it clear about what your vision is and you're honest with each other about your vision and see if they're aligned and overlapping, they don't have to be identical, but they have to be overlapping enough so that you're good for the long haul. And I think so many people are not thinking about lifetime partnership these days. Their marriage is going out of vogue and they're thinking, as long as it's fun, as long as love lasts and if it gets difficult, we'll get another one. And I'm not from that school of thought, I'm kind of an old fashioned girl, but if you want to have long-term committed partnership, it's wise to match up your visions in the beginning and then to have a pact with each other that you are going to do the work together to manifest that jointly.
1: And as great as the connection could be and the consciousness, I feel like go get some help. Go see Linda and Charlie. Go see what resources you have. Go to seminars. Read books together. Grow. Make it, you know, put energy into it. This is, whatever you put in is going to come back, and as the more consciously you put it in, I feel like the greater your relationship's going to be.
2: there's no no doubt in my mind that every word you're saying right now, Paul is is true. I think that one of the things that prevents people from taking advantage of some of the very valuable resources for support that are out there is is not that they think that um, you know, they shouldn't need it, although that that's the case sometimes too. You know, people think, well, you know, you know, we should know this or we should, you know, shouldn't have to go to somebody else to fix us. Um, But it it really has uh, has more to do with where they are compared to where they have been. Like if they've grown up in a very dysfunctional family and they move to the, they get into a relationship with a person uh, and they experience a, a lower level of dysfunction. I mean, it's not as bad, you know, you know, I, I've been, I, I grew up in this horrible situation and, and, you know, this, you know, this isn't great, but you know, it's, it's, it's a lot better than I, where I was then. And so there's this tendency to get complacent, you know, like they, they don't even think in terms of like, how much better could it be? they literally cannot imagine what is possible when two people live together in deep a deep shared reciprocal love and respect they don't have any concept of that because they've never experienced it they've never even observed it in their own families or with other people they don't even know if it even exists that possibility so our job is to is to really Kind of inspire people and ignite that part of them that is is willing to dream big bigger than they ever thought could be possible for them
1: you guys have been together 54 years do you ever talk about i'm sure you contemplate what it's going to be like when this beautiful duo becomes a solo act somebody's got to go first and how do you deal with that now And does it make the moments you have now all the more poignant and
0: special? It's high in my consciousness. And we actually talk about it frequently. And it does make each day that we have together more precious. Charlie just came back from teaching in Louisiana. He was there for six days without me. And. We talk on the phone, and I'm really glad that we do that when he's away, and the conversations are meaningful, but it's not nearly as sweet as sleeping in the same bed together and cuddling and having the amazing conversations that we have. And I know that uh, statistically speaking, the men usually go first, so I'm likely to be the one that has to go on without him. And I am attempting To have good relationships with my kids and my grandkids and my closest friends and some of my relatives, because uh, I think that that does buffer the blow and to have some meaningful work that you're doing, whether it's paid employment or whether it's volunteer work, helps a person who's um, grieving the loss of somebody so important to them in their life. And I don't expect to have the level of happiness and well-being if I have to be the one to go on alone, but I'm going to do my best to find uh, find meaning in life, being in service, and to uh, find find some kind of purpose that can help me keep going until I'm forced out of my body too. And that that awareness, I think we're all elders in training, no matter whether we're in our twenties, thirties, forties, or later. If we have death as a divisor over our shoulder, I don't think we waste our opportunities to enjoy our life, to enjoy the people in our life, to enjoy the events of our life, and enjoy the people that have the most deep, deepest, satisfying connection with.
1: Charlie, what's
2: your take? Well, I'm totally with Linda on this and um I'm very grateful that she is and I am both willing to talk about this incredibly important topic and the um you know <laughs> the older you get the more you realize that this is not an abstraction <laughs> and this, this is this is one of the whens not ifs <laughs> uh and uh you know, what what I've found is that when we can bring ourselves to, um, when when it comes up, when the topic comes up, and it comes up fairly frequently, um, that we're both there open and willing to really uh, communicate about what's there for us. Because at any given time that it comes up, I may be in a different place. I might be you know much more uh, uh at some point uh acutely um uh anxious about it or at another point i might be in a place of deeper acceptance you know that's what it is and and i you know i just feels so grateful that we've that we've created and experienced what we have i feel like i've already won the lottery anything after this is gravy um, you know, but at any given moment, I could be in a different place, and that's why you don't have this conversation once and for all. You have it periodically. and and, um, I think that it's a very valuable conversation, and it's necessary. And uh, I'm so glad I'm not with somebody who is not willing to talk about it because I know there's a lot of people out there who do feel that that way don't don't even mention that you know don't I don't want to talk about that you know um that would be that would be a tough one for me but uh I think we both knew on on some level you know we knew who who we were getting involved with even at the very very beginning we may not have known it consciously but something inside of both of us told us that this is someone with whom I can fulfill my destiny in my life. Um, Even though we may not have actually uh, thought in those terms consciously, but we both knew that this was somebody who I um, I can be supported and who will let me support them to be uh, authentically
1: uh, themselves in this lifetime. Isn't it just so wonderful that whatever designed us has made us capable of love, feeling it, expressing it, appreciation? It's just makes everything worthwhile. And to see it with the two of you, or to see it in everything, I feel like how fortunate we are, and I'm so grateful for it. And It's endlessly mysterious, but I feel like it's the most important thing.
0: It is important to use all of what life gives us as a growth opportunity, and particularly the wounds. The wounds can end up becoming our gift. It's because we didn't have the good models in our family and that we had to work as hard as we've worked, that we have such depth of appreciation of what we've been able to create together. And it's one of the themes in the in the workshops that we teach and we're coming to Tennessee in June we're going to teach in Tazewell at the well being retreat Center there, and we always um, hold out the possibility that all the crappy things of our life that we're in recovery from, um, that the wounded places, the painful places, the traumatic incidents of our life, they all that crappy stuff can be used as compost to bloom out of, not to hold ourselves as deficient or damaged or a second in some way. And when you have that kind of an agreement that you're going to use the difficulties of the relationship as a growth opportunity. It's a whole different mindset. Then you're not in aversion about talking about the difficult subjects. Charlie and I don't have any taboo subjects, not death or anything else. And we always offer that as a model to the couples to take it on that with enough love, with enough safety, with enough commitment, um with enough grit do you know that they don't have to have taboo subjects either that there isn't anything that they can't address in some way shape or form and that's such a um such a lofty model for so many people who haven't had a vision that was that big so we tell before and after stories about when we didn't know how to fight well and we were so manipulative and controlling and reaction machines and all of that and people love it they yum it up when we tell our before and after stories because i think it inspires them if they were that screwed up and look how happy they are now we could do it too you've been listening to the what matters most podcast a 100% listener-supported program. If you feel inspired, please go to our Patreon page at www.patreon.com backslash whatmattersmost and join our family. So until the next time, stay inspired and in the light.